going to be continuing to kind of, we're, we're building off of the, what we had seen in chapter 11, the great faith chapter, all the suffering that, you know, some of you were ready to get past. But now he's talking about the blessings of that. The very thing we keep running away from constantly is the very thing that there's basically promised blessings of. And so we're going to kind of see some of those things here tonight. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 is where we're at. And again, if you want to hear more of these, you can go to patreon.com forward slash creation instruction. So uh, I had to get my radio voice on for that. <laughs> like to get more, you go to. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> thank you for saying the obvious on that one, yeah. Um, verse 5 says this, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? So right there, out of the gate, he's saying this is a word of encouragement. And you think, okay, what have we been talking about that has been words of encouragement? People being drawn and quartered? You know, uh, all of these kind of things. And he says, have you forgotten the word of encouragement? And what he's saying is that the encouragement is that he addresses you as a son. And he's your father. He goes on, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. I know, looking back on me, I have thanked my, thank God so many times for my parents because they didn't let me get away with what I saw a lot of other kids getting away with. They, you know, I, I had to check in every night I got home. I had a curfew all the way through high school. As a senior in high school, I had a curfew. And if I wasn't there, I was in trouble. There had better be a good reason for it. And I remember years later just thinking, man, Lord, thank you that you put those kind of parents in my life. And this is the kind of thing that we should be saying about God. You know, God, I am thankful that you have put in these, these guidelines in my life. That when I disobey those guidelines, that there are consequences. Because if there weren't consequences, I'd be a spoiled little adult. And, you know, when we look at the law in that perspective of my parents had rules and I'm so thankful for it, I am so thankful God has given us the law and has not taken it away. Come to think of it, there are many in the church today who think the law has been taken away. What has it produced? It's produced churches who have lost their way. Christianity, progressive Christianity things like that. And in that perspective, I think it makes a lot more sense when we talk about the law. That's one of the main goals of it. It's for our protection. It isn't a way of getting into heaven. By me obeying my parents never got me to be called son. That didn't make me his, my parents' child because I obeyed. I was their child because I was born of them. We are God's children when we are born of Him, when we are born again. Faith. 
And when you are born of him and you become a son of him, that comes with privileges. The Torah, the law of God. That's the proper perspective of God's law right there. When it says here, you have completely forgotten, it's more clear in the Greek, but it's basically saying this, that you no longer believe. When you no longer believe in something, we, we call that faith, you, you're not going to care. You're not going to pay attention. If you truly believe something, you get behind it and you, you stand up for it. You'll fight for it. If you don't truly believe, but you kind of you know, say you do, there's not going to be a passion for it. If we really believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that He paid the price of our breaking the law constantly. If we truly believe that, there should be a passion in our lives. And so, really, what the key here is he's asking, do you believe? Because if you do believe, what's your response to the Lord's discipline? Do you really believe that it's good that we're disciplined? Or are we, every time some problem's going to come along, are going to say, why, Lord? Why? Or do we just trust Him? Do we really believe that? I'm not going to go to Maccabees much outside of just remind you of something that we've talked about before here, just in two slides. Remember, Antiochus was persecuting the Jews, and here's what they said, the Jews said. They said, now I urge those who read this book not to be disheartened by these misfortunes, but to consider that these punishments were meant not for the ruin, but for the correction of our nation. The Jews, when they were going through this persecution of Antiochus, they were saying, listen, this isn't for our harm. This is for our good. Just like as when my parents disciplined me, I didn't really have the foresight to say, this is for my good. I was like, I have mean parents. But the reality of it was they were for me, fighting for me, right? It goes on in verse 15 here of 2 Maccabees 6. It says, in order that he may not have to punish us later when our sins have reached their fullness. You might even say, send us to hell. That there will be an earthly punishment so that there isn't an eternal punishment. And it goes on in verse 16 and it says, Therefore, he never withdraws his mercy from us. Although he disciplines us with misfortunes, he does not abandon his own people. Let these words suffice for recalling this truth. In other words, discipline, when God disciplines us, he does not leave us alone. My parents, when they disciplined me, never left me alone. They were always for me. They always loved me. Their love for me did not leave. And we need to remember this, that when we go through discipline, when we go through hardships, God is there. You may not think He is. You may not think He loves you. You may not think you know, His promises uh, are valid anymore. You might think, oh, you know, God has left me. But that's not the case. And this is what these people that I think, I mean, it's very scriptural what they were saying here. 
That's what they realized. Listen, this is for our own good. He's doing it for so that, you know, we will repent ultimately. And God has not left us any kind of hardship, whether it be discipline, whether it be um, uh, consequences of our sin, whether it be, uh, as one of the verses we're going to look at here coming up, Job. A testing of the faith. The reason for the hardship doesn't change the result of the hardship. It is for our own good. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, it says in Corinthians as well. And we may think, uh, this is more than I can bear, but God is there. He'll take you to the brink. But he, he's there. Through death, through maiming, through you know, loss of material things to loss of loved ones, whatever the case might be. Proverbs 20, verse 30 says this, and I'm just going to give you kind of a shotgun of Scripture verses here for now because I just thought there's so many, and they all speak the same truth. And to have so many in Scripture, we should learn from it. I mean, it should make us go, wow, there's a lot of these. He must be trying to tell us something. It says, blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. Notice blows that hurt. We're not talking about just little minor, you know, scuffles in life. He's talking about the big stuff. It says, they cleanse away evil. I know that I haven't had too many funerals yet in my life that I've had to go through. But those that have died that have been close to me, every single time, you know that week before, or, I, you know, or the week right after that death, I have to say it's a good week. As much as it might hurt, I look at that and I think, wow, I, I've got some focus here now. And I don't want to lose that focus. Because it's so easy for us to get going on life you know, worried about what I'm going to do two weeks from now. And at that, that moment, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is eternity at that point. And I remember my dad, when he was dying, he wrote a letter to all of us kids. And I remember reading this letter. I've still got it in my file here. And he basically talked about his failures, one failure after another. And how he wished he would have spent more time with us as kids. And, and I remember reading this thinking, my goodness, I had the best dad ever. He didn't go and play with me. We didn't have you know, yearly vacations. It wasn't like I had a fun dad. But I'm telling you, I had an awesome father. And I knew that. I knew his love. He taught me to work hard. He taught me responsibility. He taught me respect. And he was kind of thinking, I wish I'd have spent more time with you. And I, like I said, I remember saying that, or reading it and saying it to myself, man, Dad, you were awesome. But he felt terrible. Then I grew up, got had kids. And, you know, half of my kids are out of the house now, and I already finding myself going, I, I just can't believe how much I have failed as a father in so many ways. Because I get distracted. 
with the cares of this world, even distracted with ministry sometimes. And I just think that sometimes when we go through those times of hurt, there's a clarity that comes about that through all the blessings you're just going to miss. And we'll talk more as we go here. Psalm 78, verse 34. When he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and sought earnestly for God. So, again, showing that we need trials at times to wake us up. We need these pains to make us focused. But it says that when he slew them. We're not talking about, you know, little bumps in the road. I got a flat tire. My engine blew up in my car. We're talking major things here. He says, then they sought him and returned. What was the goal? Again, for them to return. I think this also speaks against this name it, claim it kind of theology that is out there. Now, I have great people I know, love dearly, who have that theology. I just disagree with that theology. And I'm sure maybe you know that too. I'm not trying to attack them, but I'm trying to lift up the truth of what I see in Scripture. I don't see a name it, claim it theology. I see that there are times when no matter how much I'm going to claim that this isn't going to happen to me, that this uh, trial be gone... God is not going to take it away because it's best that it stays. It's best that I go through it. Romans also says that we know that tri tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has given us His Holy Spirit. And so these are important verses to commit to memory, I think. Because we need to remember, all of us are going to go through trials. And as we'll talk about, it's not always discipline. It might be a test, a testing of the faith. It might just be a blessing to have you grow. Leonard Ravenhill, I think he died like in 1994 maybe. Um, he said this, you can't develop character by reading books. You develop it from conflict. Some wise words there. I feel today, and even in my own life, that the church is always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Is that Peter that says that? Timothy somewhere in there? These people are always learning. I'm saying this as a person who's got, you know, 40 DVDs and a number of books out that, you know, nobody knows about them, but I've got them nonetheless. A person who is interested in, in education, in learning, I'm saying, why do we need another book? Why do we need another DVD? There is so much amazing information out there that you couldn't get, it, get through it in a lifetime. Why do we need more? What we need is life, <laughs> not learning. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, I mean, otherwise you wouldn't be here tonight, right? We need that because I think it's a constant reminder, but at the same time, what I, there's that other aspect of it that's saying, 
why? We need life experiences. We need to live what we already know. Knowing more doesn't make a difference. I've always said this too, that I feel like sometimes in my life, I'm always guarding and praying against this because this is my personality, is that I, I love to eat off of the tree of knowledge. But it's the tree of life that we need to be eating off of. I mean, is there anything wrong with knowledge? No. But, but the tree of life is where we're supposed to be eating from. But I love information. I love the newest tidbit that I can give you about the Bible. You know, some new fact or a connection here or there. I love that kind of stuff. And I think it's good to know it, but we don't need it. I think I've said this before. My mom, she was a simpleton. I mean, you want to talk about her faith? I couldn't have conversations with her because it couldn't get any deeper than Jesus loves me, this I know. That's all she could handle. And that was so frustrating for a guy who wanted to eat off of the tree of uh, knowledge all the time. But I'm telling you, that woman loved Jesus and had a faith that I have no doubts where she's at. And it was so simple because she knew what was most important. It is that simple. You won't develop character. I wasn't going to develop any character through that. Any character my, wife, my mother had, a lot of it came from us kids. She had you know, seven of us, six boys and a girl. And uh, yeah, we, we, God used us to put a lot of character into my mom's life. She didn't need my knowledge, I'll tell you that much. What's that? Which we're calling? Character, yeah. Well, we're going to talk more about this next week, um, what I tried to cram in, and I just I, I can't do it. So next week we'll pick up on that. But Psalm 119, verse 71 says, It's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. There is a beauty in correction. Yes, thank you. Not statues, but statutes. Good correction. Yeah. That's character. Yeah. But this should encourage us when we suffer. Whatever trials that you guys may even be going through that, we don't, that I don't even know about. Whatever trials that might come ahead today, tomorrow, whenever. These are all things that we need to just, uh, these should be memory verses for us. It is good that I am afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Psalm 119 verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The psalmist here is even saying, If it wasn't for the discipline of God, I would have fallen away. I would have strayed. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for God allowing me to be disciplined. But because you did discipline me, I kept your word. I truly believe our country is under the discipline or wrath of God right now. I don't think that wrath is coming. I think it's here. I think that we have been given over to ourselves. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I believe. That God is good, yeah. and He does what is good. That's right. 
good good addition. I probably should have had that up here with it. Yeah, it, I believe when I look at the state of Christianity today, I'm going to say the church. I think Christianity is the true church. When I say church today, I'm going to say a, a small c. When I look at the church today, I don't think they've been keeping God's word. I really don't. And I even have struggled so much with the culture that I have grown up with in the church that it has affected my thinking and it's taking a lot to, to retrain my brain to understand scripture and not throw bits of it out, but to keep it as one unit. Uh, maybe I'll give some examples later, but Nehemiah 9.28, basically saying the same thing that the psalmist said here. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Basically, once they got into the promised land, what ended up happening is they got very comfortable with life. They were blessed. We're in the promised land. It's a land of milk and honey. And we've got you know, all these towns that we've taken over. It was comfortable. And it didn't take long for them in their comfort to forget God. What, Ephesians, or what Hebrews is saying here. You have forgotten. Not only did they forget, but they traded in other gods... To replace God. Gods that maybe had more fun in certain areas or uh, allowed them to do things. I think that's what we've done in America. We have traded in the true God, Yahweh, to a God of self. And rather than sacrificing babies to Molech, we sacrifice them to ourselves, to our own uh, desires and, and abilities and careers and, and whatever the case might be. You know, uh, rather than sacrificing to a fertility God, we've sacrificed to ourselves to make sure that we aren't fertile so that we don't have to be inconvenienced by children. We, we do... Uh, gay marriage. Yeah. Gay marriage, all kinds of things. And we'll be talking about a little of that later. But just how easy it is for us to veer off when we get comfortable. Going back to you know the people that I've loved that have died. I said it lasts about a week. Maybe a little longer. And then you get comfortable. Then you get busy. And then you forget. And then your focus is right back where it was before. That's what happened to them. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 3, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. Can you imagine just going and telling somebody this on the street? Oh, it's, it's way better to have sorrow than to be laughing. They'd be like, you're nuts. I, I think Proverbs also says, you know, the day of death is better than the day of birth. In the New Testament, it talks about that it's better to go, I think it's quoting Proverbs 2, better to go to the house of mourning than to a house of feasting. You're going to sound like an idiot. I mean, if I said, hey, there's a funeral going on over here, or there's a party, a Super Bowl party going on over there, 
who in their right mind would say, yeah, well, sign me up for the funeral? But yet this is, this is the truth of what Scripture says. Better in the house of mourning than in the house of feasting. Sorrow is better than laughter. Better is the day of birth, death than the day of birth. What's wrong with us that we don't understand that? Maybe it's not what's wrong with us, but maybe it's just God knows we need that because, like I said, we, it's so easily uh, for us to veer back into comfort. But this is the opposite of what the world is telling us. Matter of fact, and I'm just as guilty as anybody here, all we do is do everything we can to avoid any kind of suffering, any kind of inconvenience. It's the flesh that wants to feed the flesh. We shouldn't live in the flesh, we should live in the spirit. And that's the thing is, when somebody needs help, we should be the ones that are saying, we're here. I don't care if I'm freezing. I don't care if I don't have time. I don't care. I've been put to shame to see some of how you guys serve. Where you are willing to give of your time and your, your efforts, your money, your, your, your all. And Matt, you're, you're another one. I mean, there's a lot of you here that it's just impressive to me. And... That's, I think, an example that we don't always seek our own comfort, but we should be seeking the comfort of others. And anyway, I'll, I'll leave it at that. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. Godly sorrow. I was talking to somebody here recently in regards to just sorrow of, of just temptations and just how, I, I'm going to say beautiful it is to be beating yourself up sometimes. Now, that can go too far, but you know, I'm thankful sometimes when I wake up in the morning and I had a dream and I'm like, God, I am so sorry that that's how I behaved. I am so sorry that I had that in my dream even because there's got to be some of that deep down within me. And I think it's good for us to beat ourselves up for a short period of time. Repent. But we can't stay there because if you do, then you're not believing in the promises of God that we have been forgiven and He has now made us saints and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I'm thankful for that conviction, that pricking of the conscience, because that leads to godly sorrow. 1 Corinthians 11.32, when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Sounds just like Maccabees, doesn't it? He did this for our own good so that he didn't have to punish us later, eternally. Over and over, we're seeing that this is for our benefit and this is because of God's love. So, anyway, back to Hebrews here. Just going to read the same verses one more time for you because now with that context of all these other verses, I just wonder if it means more to you now. You have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, 
Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the, Lord's discipline, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. You know, after all, looking at all these verses to me, that just, it meant more to me reading it now. It's like, wow, thank you, God, that you allow me not to have a life that is nothing but a bowl of cherries. Because, like the psalmist said, I would have forgotten you. I would forget you. And I need to always rely on you. I need to always be in need, desperate need of you. In Nehemiah, we looked at this during uh, Sukkot, at the Feast of Trumpets. They celebrate the Feast of Trumpets after they have uh, come out of Babylon. And they go through the Word of God. And I just want to show you again the power of that Word, that the Word is what moved them. It says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Guys, there is some value in fasting. One of the values is basically making you suffer, not giving your flesh everything you wants. It says, Then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. What was the result of reading the word at the Feast of Tabernacles? Repentance. They were convicted of sin, so they confessed their sins. Then it says, and they stood up there in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. I'm apologizing when I go an hour and 15 minutes or, you know, sometimes a little longer. I, and it's like, yeah, we, we should, and you guys are all good. I'm the one that probably feels guilty, more bad about it than you, but I hope. But bottom line is we should be able to say, you know what? We got all night, right? No, it's easy for me to say I'm the one speaking. I, I understand. I've been in your position, and I've been thinking, is this guy about done? Okay, I, I've been in those. So I understand, and I don't think that's all you know, bad. I think that's natural as well. But it's part of the society we've grown up in. We have been trained well for that. And... It's just like TV. You know, it used to be that you could watch a program without things changing constantly. And then when we change that for kids, then their attention span got smaller. And then it gets smaller yet. And then it gets smaller yet. If we do that to the church, pretty soon you won't be able to handle a 10-minute sermon. We need to discipline our, our minds, even in that sense. Don't worry, I didn't plan an hour and a half message tonight, but, yeah, didn't plan it, but you're right, it could end up being that anyway. But the challenge has been accepted. Yeah. <laughs> Point is, is the word causes them to repent. It's, it goes on, now therefore our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us. Remember, they were just taken to Babylon. They're now back, but it, life is not easy. Our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. I love that. 
They didn't blame God, at least not at this point. Earlier, like you were saying in Jeremiah, they were. They were going and, and burning incense to the queen of the heavens. And they were saying, you know, when we were burning incense to them, everything was going fine. And now all of a sudden, you know, we got all these trials and tribulations going on. Okay, they, they were blaming God when God was trying to purify and, and, and help them. And so when we reflect on trials that we go through, I think this is a great verse to remember. God is always just. There's a few things that God cannot do. He cannot lie. He cannot be unloving. He cannot be unjust. And so, I mean, what gall we have to blame God when we suffer. I know I've been there. When I was in high school, I went through a period where, man, I was angry at God and I was blaming Him. When in fact, it was all me. And they realize that here. So, don't ask, why God? He's already told you some options. Okay, he's given you some options, why? And all of them have to do with his love for you. All of them have to do with his presence not leaving you through that trial. If you'll let him be there. So, when your flesh wants to give up, go to this prayer in Nehemiah. You know, tell the Lord, you're just, and I condemn myself because I've not walked blamelessly before you. And I'm telling you, none of us have. I don't care the, the, the greatest Christian you can imagine. None of us have walked blamelessly before God. And none of us are worthy of a life of ease. But what an attitude to have when we are hurled into affliction right here. Psalm 103, verse 9. He will not always strive with us, nor will he help his anger forever, keep his anger forever. He has not dwelt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Attach this one to your memorization of Nehemiah. Why, God? The real question should be, why have you even let me continue to live, God? Because I don't even deserve this affliction you're giving me. I deserve far worse. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care if you're being burned at the stake. You deserve worse. <laughs> and that's basically what he's saying. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. That's... There isn't anything more true. Um... You know, Romans says the wages of sin is death. Just one sin. little white lie. That's what you deserve. And we've piled up way more than that. So, on one hand, there's that reality. You guys are awful, as I am. Then on the other hand, you've got, man, you guys are saints. 
holy, righteous, pure. The difference and the, the, the thing to kind of balance this out is to remember that the only way that you are righteous, pure, and holiness is not because of you at all, but because of Yeshua only, period. And it's that balance that you need to, to always remember. And that's the context here. They understood God is good. And because of God, I am not condemned. Even in the Old Testament, before Yeshua, you go read and you see David seeing his righteousness. You see them proclaiming righteousness. Not because of what they did in the temple, not because of the sacrifices made in the temple, but because of God, period. It's all throughout the Psalms. So this isn't just a New Testament thing. The New Testament just made it clear how God was, was doing that, how the penalty of sin was being paid for. But bottom line is, there is that paradox that I don't think I'm smart enough to put into words to explain to you, but you need to be aware it's not all one or the other. If you're all, hey, I'm worthless, you're in trouble. But if you're all, hey, I'm a saint and I'm good and I don't ever do anything wrong because I'm now perfect in Christ, you're in trouble. There's that balance that I wish I was smart enough to explain, but the Holy Spirit is going to have to work that in everyone's life. One of the things that people always get so concerned about when I talk about you know, the messianic aspect of Christianity going and, and, and appreciating the law of God as Psalm 119 plus the rest of scriptures tell me I should do, is that you're going to become legalistic and you're going to become one of these people way over here. Is that a danger? It absolutely is. But is it also a danger that if I don't teach that, that you're going to end up way over here and that you don't care about the law of God? Absolutely it is. And frankly, I think that the small C church, a lot of them are over there. Because they have neglected the law of God. And I really wanted to, like I said, one of the reasons I was trying to cram so much in tonight is because I want to get to that. And I'm not going to get to as much, so next week is going to tie in really well with this. But going back to what you were saying too, not all trials are because of God chastening you, because you've done something wrong, specifically. But remember, even if you've been doing everything right, you're still a sinner, because you really haven't done everything right. You can't. It's impossible. And so, on one hand, you could say, yeah, sin, it's always chastening. You say, well, well, I haven't done it. I, I, I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing this. I'm not watching pornography. I'm not, I'm not cussing and swearing. Well, yeah, you still got the sinful flesh. Okay? Not to say that that's what he's doing, but I'm just saying that's the mindset that you should have. You deserve it. I don't care how good you think you are. You deserve it. What God has given you is better than you deserve. Who is that, the guy that always says, uh, how you doing? Well, better than I deserve. Yeah, yeah Ramsey. Okay. There, that's truth right there. We are always doing better than we deserve. But the bottom line is, Job was a righteous man. So are you. You know Yeshua Jesus? 
You're a righteous man. As a righteous man, he went through, I, I can't even imagine. First of all, physical, I mean, he had physical, he lost all of his kids, he lost all of his stuff. The only thing he didn't lose was the nagging faucet. Yeah. I've often wondered how that worked out on the other side of things. Well, yeah, yeah. He had 10 more kids. And I don't think so. Here's, here's the conclusion I came to how it worked out on the other side. I think Job was such a righteous man that he loved his wife despite that. That's the conclusion I came up with. She did. That's a good point. But I do think there's a reason Satan left her there. <laughs> I'm not saying your wife. I'm saying his wife. I think Satan knew that that would be a thorn in his flesh at that time. But I also believe that he loved her through it. And we don't know what happened on the, on the other side. But nonetheless... Job went through all of that suffering, and it wasn't because he did something wrong. It was because he was being tested. Don't be surprised at some of the trials you're going through, that maybe there hasn't been a conversation like that between God and the devil too. Have you considered my servant Troy? You know? And God's saying, oh, you don't know Troy. He loves me. He loves me. Okay? I can't tell you why you go through trials. My point is, is the why isn't so important. What's important is that God is with you and it's for your good. He responds, Job does in verse 10, when his wife says, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Just curse God and die. Enough. Just give up. He says, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In essence, this verse is summing up what I'm talking about. Don't curse God. Don't be angry with God because you are going through a trial of chastening, of testing, whatever it might be. Jeremiah 10, 24, O Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Huh. What a prayer. I gotta say, I don't know if I can pray for chastening very well. I... I have, but let me, this is how I word my prayer. I, I've said it many times. Lord, just teach me your ways and show me where I'm wrong, but please be gentle. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's what I say. I, I've said it a hundred times. I know I've had many a Christian tell me they don't pray for patience. Because that means you're welcoming hardships into your life. But what this is telling us is you should because that is for your own good. It's for your own protection. You know, I, I think about you get a cut. 
it needs stitches, whatever. I'm just going off the top of my head, so this will probably fall flat. But <laughs> bottom line, you get a cut, you go to the doctor, you know it's going to hurt, but you do it because you know it's what's best. You don't not do it. It's the same thing here. We need to pray, God, teach us patience. Now, I think it's okay to say, but God, please be gentle. But if I don't listen, do what it takes, because I would rather not, I'd rather go through that suffering than to lose my faith. As that psalmist said, without it, I would have turned away from you. And I'm telling you, I don't put that past anybody. Again, I'm not, and I know this is going to offend some of you, but I do believe people can step out of the faith. Now, I don't understand all of that. I can give you 20 verses that say you cannot step out of the faith, and I can give you 20 verses that says you can step out of the faith. Okay? I think, I don't know if this is right or wrong. I'm just telling you how I've made sense of it. I think that there's a point. You know, it says not many of you should be elders and whatnot, because, you know, if you're a new convert, because you could be basically handed over to the devil. So I think there's a point to where, as a young Christian, a young believer, you can be swayed, but then you might reach a point to where it's like, there is no way. I am not going to deny Jesus for the sake of even my own life. But to pray for it gently... I kind of think that that's what Jeremiah was doing here a little bit, but with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Yeah, you don't want to be under God's anger ever. I think that's the wrath of God. And thankfully, as a believer, I don't believe I will be under God's wrath. I don't, I don't think that it's possible for me to be under his wrath in the, as a Christian, a believer. Okay, It's going to be under his love and under his just uh, discipline or chastening or, or testing. Hosea 6.1 says, Come and let us return to the Lord, for He is torn, but He will heal us. He is stricken, but He will bind us up. Kind of bringing this back full circle. If you're suffering now, you need to have hope because there's a promise attached to it. He has stricken you. But guess what? He's going to bind up your wounds. He's going to heal you. He's going to get you through this. He promises that. Likewise, I want you guys to understand something. If America is under judgment, you're going to see some major trials coming. I personally believe there is a possibility, I'm not saying it is, possibility, no more than that, that this vaccine could lead us into the black horse of Revelation. Remember back in March or wherever it was, April, I was saying the white horse I, very well could be Corona. The red horse communism, we're headed right there. And then black horse, we see famine, plague, and death follows. There is a lot of information out there that is extremely plausible that you take this vaccine, you'll be fine until the virus comes back and then it'll kill you. I mean, there are medical doctors saying that. Uh, Dr. Uh, Lee Merritt, 
uh, is one of them that, that outlines that. If that's something you don't know about, let me know. I'll, I'll get the video to you. I don't want to make it about that, but what I'm saying is this. Imagine, and by the way, what does the Bible say? A third of the people are going to die. Don't think this can't happen to you. A third of the people, and it seems to possibly be talking about the world. I find it interesting that this is a worldwide, you know, pandemic that we're going through. Global. Global. So, that being the case, this is very scriptural that we could be dealing with something like that. What are you going to do when a third of the people that you know die? You're going to blame God? I keep trying to look at things scripturally, not politically, not even fully medically or scientifically, because all I know is the Bible says a third of the world will die. All I know is that there is something going on in the world right now that fits a white horse. I see the red horse on the horizon, and I could easily see the black horse on the horizon. Maybe that is not right. I don't know. But we need to be watchful of it, not watchful out of fear, but watchful out of preparation of the spirit and the heart and the mind to say, listen, if that happens, do you believe this? That he has stricken us, but guess what? He's going to heal us. He's going to bind up our wounds. There is hope. There is good out of that. Or are you just going to focus on the bad? Psalm 107 verse 10 says, Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. So basically, this is, I mean, terrible affliction going on here. They rebelled against God's word. That's why it's happening. And it says they fell down and there was none to help. Like I said, God is often going to allow us to get to the point to where you have no strength left. You can rely on nobody, not even your friends, not your family. You have nobody to help. Okay, that's important because where God wants you is right there. Because then you can only look to one person, Him. You can only look up. You can't help yourself even. Deuteronomy says the Lord will strike you with boils of Egypt, with tumors, with scab, with the itch from which you cannot be healed. You shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. In the Exodus, this is where the Israelites were. They could look only to one person, God. And what do they do? They call out to him. And then what happens? There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the disease on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. So after what he read there in Deuteronomy, where nobody can help him, or you, or anybody, we need to remember that God said, when they left Egypt and came to the waters of Marah, but there is hope in me, in my words, in my promises. If you listen to them, 
all these troubles go away. Psalm 107, verse 10, Those who sat in darkness and the shadow of death bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God, despised the counsel of the Most High, therefore he brought down, to their, brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. And then it goes on and says this, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. So after all of these trials, what's the answer? When you go through trials, that's it. Cry out to God. Cry out to Him. Don't blame Him. Cry out knowing, I deserve this. But I also know your mercy. I also know this is for my good. He goes on, He has broken the gates of bronze, put the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression, and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food. They drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord. In their trouble, he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Just remember not to look to humans for your trouble. You know, I'm just as guilty of this as anybody here, but I know that sometimes when troubles come, you know what the first thing I want to do is hash it out with somebody else. When in fact... I really only need to go hash it out with God. Verse 17, here he repeats that basically this isn't God's fault. This is because of their transgression. Verse 18, you know, typically food gives you comfort. You know, you're, you're really stressed out, go get some ice cream, right? Well, even that is stripped from them. So again, it's saying there is no comfort here. No one to save. The same thing I've been showing you, but one. And verse 19 is the answer. Then they cried out to the Lord. And verse 20 is the result. Yeshua, the word of God, brings deliverance and healing. Remember, Eve was taken out of the Garden of Eden. We talked about this last week that she had to remain out. Why? Because there's consequences to sin. What was her sin? Not believing the Word of God. Right? Did God really say? Ah, you're not going to die. You see, we believe the Word of God. It was unbelief. That's what the picture of the Garden of Eden, it's easy to, oh, she ate the stupid apple. No, it's unbelief. Might not even been an apple. Unbelief. Psalm 119 says this, I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. When afflicted, cry out the word of God. Cry out Yeshua, the word of God. Remember the word to your servant. Cry out according to the word. And I tell you, you confess and repent and call out to Him, He will heal. Those are the promises of God. That's the hope that we can have. So going back here to Hebrews to kind of start wrapping up. Um, we've kind of looked at this, so just save some time. I'm, I'm not going to read it all, but verse 6 here. Because the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastens everyone He accepts as His Son. Revelation 3.19 is very consistent with this. It says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. 
Therefore, be zealous and repent. Don't just see the repent here. It also says be zealous. Be zealous. What's that mean? It means we should have a passion for God's Word. We should have a passion about speaking truth, speaking Torah and the Gospel. He goes on in verse 7, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Again, flies in the face of the prosperity, health and wealth, name it, claim it, gospel. I've seen people being disciplined when I can clearly see God is trying to wake them up. I can see their sin. They can't, but I can see it clearly. And they're not hearing God's call to repentance. And it's just like, oh, if they would only just see. They're stubborn because they're in love with their sin. They don't want to make their flesh uncomfortable. And as a result, they keep suffering. But we can find comfort in that sometimes because you know what that means. It's like God loves them. And we need to remember that, that these people that maybe we get frustrated with sometimes because they're so slow to learn, God loves them. So that means we should love them and encourage them and help them through. But remind them, help them by giving them the truth. Listen, you've got sin in your life. I love you, and that's why I'm telling you this. God loves you, and that's why possibly, you know, I, I would never tell anybody this is why you have, because I don't know. You know, when 9-11 happened, everybody, God is doing this because of, I, I don't know. I suspect very good possibility, but I don't know. I don't know why God does everything he does that way. But nonetheless, the point I want to make here is that he chastens those he loves, and therefore we need to have love for those people too. To be patient while they're learning. I look back on my life and some of the things I did. I was a believer. I know I'd have died in high school. I'd have been in heaven with Jesus. But I look back at the things I watched on TV in high school. Whoo! You know, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't even think I was doing anything wrong. I had to, you know, get out of college and then go watch these old things that I used to watch in high school, thinking never even... And I thought, wow! I thought this was a clean movie. You know? And I'm sure there was maybe people way more godly than I was at that point, you know, walking in, in a sanctified life that were looking at me and thinking, he's not even a Christian. Because, you know, he's going to that movie. You know? We need to be patient with people. But I wish people would have pointed those things out to me more when I was in high school. And that's part of what we're going to talk about next week a little bit, is we do not want to... I can't remember how it's worded now, what scripture, but anyway, the bottom line is, is encourage people in their sin. We don't want to ignore it. We need to hold people accountable because if we ignore sin that's going on, we're only feeding the problem. I'm going to close out with just a couple of headlines here. Um, 
August 24, 2019 here, breaking, Bethel Church goes gay. Bethel Church used its Facebook page on Thursday to tell the LGBTQ community that if they feel fulfilled and happy, they don't need to change. In fact, the church stated, the message of changed has never been all must change. It went on and said, God loves all people, LGBTQ and straight. The message of changed has never been all must change. We share these stories specifically for Christians who are unfulfilled in identifying as LGBTQ. For those of you who feel fulfilled and happy as you are, we love you. This is not what I mean by, hey, you need to love these people and whatever. This is not loving them. Welcoming them and welcoming their sin, that's hate. This is true hate speech right there. And this is going on all over. What Pope Francis comments about gay families could mean for LGBTQ, let me just put it this way, sinners, okay, sexual sinners worldwide. In the article below here, I've blown it up a little bit. As the Pope's words about gay couples spread to audiences around the world, it wasn't just his support for the creation of civil unions that stood out. It was his embrace of same-sex couples as part of a family unit, an image that goes beyond a person's individual legal rights. They're children of God and have right to a family, Pope Francis said in a new documentary. Nobody should be thrown out or be made miserable because of it. Nobody should suffer. Nobody should be chastened. Nobody should be miserable. And yet scripture says, maybe God makes them miserable because he loves them and he's trying to save them from damnation in hell. This is hate speech. So anyway, um, with that, go love one another, love others, but do so by giving them the Word of God. Maybe that Word of God might prick their conscience. Maybe it might cut them a little bit. But that's for their own good. But do it in love. If we don't have love as we do that, we're nothing but a sounding gong, as 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. So.